Today is what? Palm Sunday. It's the day that marks the remembrance of the beginning of Jesus' last week of ministry on earth before his ascension into heaven to the Father's right hand. And something's interesting for you to do this afternoon maybe. Look in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, and turn in each one and find where the um, Palm Sunday message is. It'll be called like the triumphal entry, entry or Palm Sunday or Jesus entering Jerusalem. And notice where it is in the, in the position of the, of the whole gospel. And what you're going to notice is something you maybe didn't notice before. It's like kind of in the middle of a lot of the books. And what it's saying is a lot of what's recorded in the scripture is simply recorded of, of the gospels is Jesus' very last week of ministry. That so much of his teaching and so much what he did, if you look at the timeline, the scripture, the, new, the, the, the gospels point out, You'll see the triumphal entry, and then you have half the gospel, and then the rest of it. It's just that it's a focus on so many of the gospels on what happened with Jesus, not in the first three years of his ministry, but really in the last week of his ministry. So Palm Sunday kicks off this last week of Jesus' ministry on earth. And, and we're going to read about what happened on that day over 2,000 years ago, and I want us to learn about what it says about Jesus, because it's always about Jesus. If we're together and it's not about Jesus, we miss something. So it's about Jesus. We want to learn about that. We also want to learn how that impacts each of us today. So grab your Bible, and we're going to turn to a really short version of Palm Sunday. Turn to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 12. Notice John's a pretty long book, right? This is right in chapter 12. It's not at the end. It's in chapter 12, more towards the middle. John chapter 12, you there? Verse, we're going to start in verse 12. It says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now John gives, that's the whole, that's John's whole description of this event. John gives this really short version of what went on that first Palm Sunday. Basically, Jesus is welcomed into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, while the crowds came out with palm branches, I even say here they laid down, the other versions say he, they laid them in the road, laid the branches on the ground, and then they shouted something. They shouted, Hosanna, which means save us or rescue us now. Hosanna, that's what it means, rescue us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And the reason we're looking at John today is because John captures the point of greatest significance. He just boils it all down to what's most important about that day. He captures the point of greatest significance about that day. And it's this, that Jesus openly comes into Jerusalem as the king. He comes into Jerusalem as king of the Jews, and the people, what do we see here? The people welcome him as their king. They say, welcome King Jesus into Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem. That's what's going on that day. After three years of the ministry of Jesus doing all these miracles and all this teaching, he finally, for the first time, publicly stands before them and and says, yes, I am your king. I am God's chosen king. And the people welcomed him as king. They gave him what for them would have been a king's welcome. They laid palm branches in the roads. Some other gospels say they put their garments in the roads. And then they watched how he came into town. He rode in on a donkey, which was a fulfillment of prophecy about how the king would come. So Jesus, on that day, John boils it down to the most important thing, saying Jesus is the king of the Jews. Got that? Right? Clear? Now, with that understanding about Palm Sunday the first day of Jesus' final week. What I want to do, we're going to, we're going to jump ahead in the week. I'm going to show you something that's related back to the first day. We're going to move a little further into the week to Friday. We're going from Palm Sunday, a few days later, five days later, to um, Friday. We're going to go to the morning of Good Friday on the day that Jesus would be crucified. We're going to look at that, and I want us to see something. On that morning, on Friday morning, Jesus stood at trial before Pilate, who is the Roman ruler. And it says this. It says, Pilate examined Jesus. He listened to the charges against him, and he concluded that Jesus had done nothing wrong, nothing to deserve the punishment of death. So Pilate says, I find no fault in this guy. I'm releasing him. But the Jews fought back against Pilate. And they said that Pilate, this is it, Pilate is no friend of Caesar, who is their king and their, almost their God, no friend of Caesar if they release Jesus because Jesus said of himself that he was king on Palm Sunday. Remember, they all hailed him as that. Now listen to what happens next after they say he's king. Look at, flip a few pages in John to John 19. We're on the morning of, of Good Friday Flip to John 19. We're trying to stay in John the whole time, so it's easy for you to find it. John 19, starting in verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, them saying, listen, um, you're no friend of Caesar because he's the king. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Look at those words. We have, these are the Jews. These are the leading Jews. We have no king but Caesar. The Jews who had celebrated Jesus as king only five days earlier on Palm Sunday, now the Jewish crowd is yelling, crucify him. And the religious Jewish leaders are shouting, we have no king but Caesar. They were showing where their true loyalty lied. Who or what was most important in their lives? They were showing that when it came down to it, they were more committed 
to their political arrangement under Roman rule than they were to following the king of the kingdom of God. They were more committed to following the king of their political rule, their political arrangement. In other gospels it says they did this because they were afraid they were going to lose their position in Rome. They were more committed to their political arrangement under Roman rule than they were to following the king of the kingdom of God. So they chose King Caesar over King Jesus, and their actions revealed it. Crucify. We have no king but Caesar. Well, this got me thinking about us, about all of us. Actually, as you guys know, if you're from around here, I always write my sermons on Thursdays. And I think about them, I do a lot of research for them on Wednesdays, and I write them on Thursdays. And so Thursday morning when I wrote this message, I literally woke up, my eyes were, when I, as soon as I opened my eyes, this thought was just in my head. So Mark, you call him king. So you call him king. And I was asking myself, then what does it mean to follow Jesus as king? This is voice, Mark, so you call him king. And I just knew the intention was by the Spirit. So what does that mean if you call him king? You know, if we were there on that day, what would it have meant to honestly say Jesus was king? What would it have meant to go against the crowd and follow Jesus as king? And what would that look like today if we say he's king? See, we easily say it all the time. We say Jesus King. Matter of fact, if you notice, because I started thinking about the songs that we sing in worship. You know how many songs we sing in worship say Jesus is King? A ton of them. We sing it. We declare it. Remember, when we sing, basically it's putting our prayers to music. And so we sing about it. We, we pray about it all the time. Jesus is King. But we have to ask ourselves then, but how then would that be revealed if that's true in our lives. And, and is it really true of us that Jesus is king? Do we really live like Jesus is king? Well, I think there's a few things that would really reveal to us for our own good if we really, if, we, if our words match our actions. Remember, their words match their actions um, on that day. We have no other king, kill this guy. But five days earlier, they're all saying, He's king. And five days later, they're saying crucify. Their words didn't match up. So what would it look like? If What would reveal in our lives if Jesus was really king? And I want us to, to think about that today. I think there's a few things. The first thing is this. If Jesus is really king, then we would willingly submit to Jesus' authority. If Jesus is king then we would willingly submit to Jesus' authority in our lives. See, this is really all about who is really in charge of our lives. Think of the terms that the Bible uses to describe Jesus. Here it calls him king. It calls him shepherd. It's not an exhausted list. It calls him shepherd, calls him Lord, calls him Savior, calls him rabbi. All of these terms describe one who has authority over others, Right? Sheep follow a shepherd. Subjects 
listen to a king. Students are taught by a rabbi. The Lord has lordship over his followers. When we come to Jesus, often we say this. We say we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. What's really happening when we accept Jesus? What are we really saying is that we're saying, we're supposed to be intending, is that we're saying we're coming under the authority of Jesus. Now we accept that Jesus is king of our, in our, of our lives, and we are his followers. That salvation, according to the scripture, is about a death to our old self-willed life where we were king, and a birth to a new life where we are following King Jesus in our lives. This means we do our best. We're not perfect, but we do our best to discern how he is leading in our lives. Why are we taking two months on Wednesday nights to pray? Because Jesus is king. And we're saying, King Jesus, we want to hear what you say. We don't want to make it up on our own. What do you say about our lives? What do you say about our church life? We want to hear it. You're king, and we're listening for you. We're doing our best to discern how you are leading us that we make decisions in lives not based upon how society is leading us, but we make decisions in life based on how Jesus is leading us. What King Jesus um, has to say about a situation is the highest guiding principle we live by of Jesus is king and our authority. We need to understand when we do this, if we try to live this way, this will cause dissonance in our lives at times. Jesus' way doesn't line up often with the ways of the world, and as a follower of Jesus, following his ways that often, it'll cause um, some conflict in our lives as we follow him and submit to his authority. It can cause conflict. But understand something else. Understand this, that his way is always the best way for you and me, that he has amazing things that he wants to do in and through each and every one of you as you follow him, that his plans for you are wonderful. They're not necessarily easy. I'd say, matter of fact, they're never easy. They're never the easiest path, but they're wonderful. And that you can't live God's plan out in your life as long as you are holding on to your own plans. Think about Peter one of Jesus' followers, his right-hand man. When Jesus called him, what was Peter? He was a fisherman. Now, that's a nice way to make a living. Who would agree? That's a nice way to make a living, being a fisherman. Is there one other fisherman in here? Josh, okay, a couple of you. Josh and Josh, okay, it's common. He was a fisherman, right? It's a nice way to make a living. But Jesus calls him to leave that behind and instead become a fisher of men. Following Jesus' way changed everything. He became something, what, more amazing than he ever would have been as a fisherman. And he accomplished more wonderful things because he submitted to the authority of Jesus and followed his way than he ever would if he would have stayed and become the most successful fisherman that the region had ever seen. So friends, if Jesus is really king, it starts by you and me submitting to his authority in our lives, living our lives his way, which we know will be the best way, but it'll be different than the way we have wanted to live our living without Jesus. 
as authority in our lives. Does that make sense? So, Jesus is, we sub, if, if he's really king, we submit to his authority. Now, that leads us to the next thing that reveals if we are following Jesus as king is this. We will then, if we submit to his authority, we will then follow his example. The way that we reveal that we are submitting to the authority of Jesus is by following the example that he set. See, Jesus came to earth as a human being to reveal to us who God is. That's why he came. And in that revealing to us who God is, he gave us the example of what a perfect, um, fully developed, brilliant human life looks like. And he did that so that we would have an example to follow. We learn how to live rightly, how to live best by watching Jesus and living like Jesus lives. During the last week of Jesus' ministry, before his crucifixion, he dealt with this idea with his disciples. Remember, so much of what Jesus did is in this last week. On Thursday of his last week, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, and he instituted for the first time what we call the Lord's Supper or communion with the disciples. He explained how the bread was his body and the wine was his blood, but right before he did that, he did something that was confusing to the disciples. He washed their feet. Turn to John chapter 13 with me. So let's start in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, and he's just explained how, how Peter said, well, you're not just going to wash my feet, wash all of me. He goes, no, no, you don't, I don't need to wash all of you. He's just going to model something for them. And so, so when he had washed their feet, he had taken this, this robe, and he had taken this uh, towel and put it on it and washed their feet. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? meaning referring to washing their feet. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed If you do them. Think about something. One of the last things Jesus does with his disciples is give them an example to follow. He, their Lord and teacher, their authority, washed their feet. What's that all about? He washed their feet. He served them. He put their needs ahead of his own. He was self-sacrificing. He humbled himself. And he said, I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Jesus says, serve as I've served. Humble yourself as I've humbled myself. Put others ahead of yourself as I have put myself on this day ahead of, I put you ahead of myself. Following Jesus as king means following the example that he has given. Now, Palm Sunday gives us a great example of how that would look in the real world. In Matthew's account of Palm Sunday in chapter 21, you can read it later today, it explains how after he had come, Jesus had come into Jerusalem as king with the people shouting Hosanna and putting the branches in the road and he's riding on a donkey. 
that he then, as soon as that was over, he went into the temple, and it says he drove out those who were selling the animals, and they were exchanging money so people could, from other places could, could buy the animals for sacrifices. It says he flipped over their tables, and he drove them out. Do you remember what he said? He said, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And there's something very important about Jesus here as an example to follow, a very important detail that we could, that we could overlook. Because you could say, oh, Pastor Mark, you're saying, hey, go start flipping tables over in church. That's not it at all. That's not, that's not the important thing here. Here's the important thing. The area where Jesus had set, where, these, where the Jews had set the tables up to sell their things, their sacrifices, and exchange their money was in what was called the court of the Gentiles. In the, in the temple, if you were a Gentile, you couldn't come in and you couldn't worship in with the Jews. There was separation. And so, the, so God saw too, there was a place called the court of the Gentiles. And it was a place where non-Jewish people and imperfect people could go to worship and go to learn about God and worship the God of the Jews. And that area at this time had been filled up with people making money. And it wasn't just that they were making money. They were keeping these seekers from finding God because there was no space for them. The area designated for them to come and find God, those outsiders, was now filled up with insiders making money. So Jesus comes and he drives them out and what he's doing, he's welcoming in the outsiders. He's saying, outsiders, you're welcome. And what it says in, in Matthew 21, immediately after he does that, it says this, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. They couldn't get in before. And he healed them. What do we see here? Jesus welcomed the outsiders. Jesus welcomed the overlooked. Jesus welcomed the oppressed. Jesus welcomed the disenfranchised. He welcomed and he helped them and he healed the hurting and the needy. We see this about Jesus everywhere he went. He touched the lepers. He welcomed the outcasts. And I think it is especially important for us, for you and me, who live in a place like this, that is a wonderful place, that I'm so glad I'm a part of. The blessing of God and the goodness of God we experience. I so, think it's so important for us to notice this, that Jesus models. Because most of us don't fall into the category of the oppressed or the needy, or the disenfranchised, or the, or the excluded. So it's easy for us to remain ignorant or insulated from such need in the people's lives that might be just around us. But Jesus gives us an example. You know, he had just been welcomed as king into the city. And what most people would do is be welcome as king is they'd go hang around with the rich and the powerful and the in crowd and say, man, I have made it. But what did he do? He drove those very people out of the temple and he made room for the most needy. Friends, he gave us this example to follow. To not be blind to those who are around us who need the Lord, who are hurting, who are disenfranchised, who are felt, who felt, who feel ostracized. And my thought for us today is, how is God calling each of us to follow Jesus' example in this way? 
God, I think we can do this. We can just ask Jesus to open up our eyes to the needs around us. Open up our eyes because the needs are people. Open up our eyes to those who are in need to show us how, how we can clear any clutter out that's keeping them unwelcome and welcome them into our lives so that Jesus through us can help and he can heal. Because friends, if Jesus is king, then we follow his example. And that's the example that Jesus gives in his entire ministry. Right? Now, there's one more thing that I think we need to think about as we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus as king. And this is kind of the balance in here. We trust in his goodness. Jesus, friends, is a good king. One of the names he refers to himself as in the scriptures is the good shepherd. And I'm hoping that today we are being honest with ourselves and we are looking to see if we are demonstrating through our lives that we are really following Jesus as king by submitting to his authority and following his example because we need to be if he's king. But I want that to be tempered by the reality that following him is a good thing. Imitating him is a good thing because he is a good king. Submitting to Jesus, according to Jesus, is taking on the light yoke and the easy burden. He says, come to me all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And his example is one that leads to blessedness because we are we, we become a blessing, and so we live in his blessings. We give love, and we receive greater love back. Jesus is a good king, and we can trust in his goodness toward us as we submit to his authority and follow his leadings. And again, let's look at who we looked at earlier. Think of Peter again. Early Friday morning, as Jesus was getting um, his fake trial underway, Peter is there and he's, he's asked, do you know him? And three times he denies knowing Jesus, the ultimate betrayal that Peter could ever do. But just a few days later, Jesus rises from the dead and Jesus speaks to the women that are at the tomb and he says, listen, um, go tell my disciples that I'm alive. And he says this, my disciples and Peter. He says, go specifically, go to Peter. And then shortly after that, Jesus takes Peter aside after he's made a meal one morning at the, at the, at the seaside. He takes Peter aside and he asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, you know, I love you. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm allowing you to affirm that you still love me. I'm letting you know there's no problem between us. There's no need for penance. Everything's fine. I forgive you. He said, no more forgiveness is needed. No penance is needed. Just welcome. Jesus just welcomes Peter back with open arms. Friends, that's what kind of king, King Jesus is. He's good. He's loving. He gives the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the 40th chance and the 4,000th chance to every person who messes up and then returns to him as king. 
So what does it mean when we say we follow Jesus as king? What does it say when we celebrate Palm Sunday and we say welcome King Jesus as they welcomed Jesus 2,000 years ago into Jerusalem and we sing songs about him being king? What does that mean? It means we submit to his authority. It means we follow his example. It means we trust in his goodness. Friends, you were created to follow King Jesus from now through all eternity. And that starts now. We follow King Jesus. Good King Jesus. And the thing we need to think about as we end today is on Palm Sunday that reminds us of all this. Are we doing that? Have we been doing that? Maybe you've drifted away and you need a second chance or you need a 50th chance. Here's the truth. You come to Jesus and he'll give it to you. You come to Jesus no matter how far you've strayed and you say, yes, Jesus, I want you as my king and my Lord and I want to follow you. And he says, welcome home. And he does it the next day and the next day and the next day because he understands how frail we are and how often we, we blow it even though we don't want to. And he says, I know, I get it. I know who you are and I love you for who you are. Not in spite of those things. I love you. So come back. Those Drifting has consequences. But it doesn't ever change the fact that his arms are wide open to you and he'll accept you in any and receive you in any circumstance. So maybe you've drifted away today and you need to, you need to come back for the 40th time. Palm Sunday is the day to do that. But maybe also, you've never really turned your life over to Jesus. You've given lip service maybe, and this is, not, this is not judgment. This is just God's love is so great that he eventually helps us to understand the truth about us. That maybe you're here, and you recognize, you know what? I don't really serve Jesus as king because he's not the authority I follow. He's not the example I follow. I just slapped a sticker of Jesus on my life and say, that's all there is. But today, something's happening inside your heart. And you're saying, I want to follow good King Jesus. I mean, I really want to follow him. I want to, fo- I want to live under his authority. I want to follow his example. I'm ready to do that. Friends, today you can do that. Because it's not about you and me. It's about you and him. And he's right here right now by his spirit. And if you have that sense that you want to do that today, it's because the spirit of God within you is calling you by name and saying he loves you. He's saying, come on home. Because you were created to live in relationship with King Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? So maybe you're here today. And as I've been talking about this, and you've been saying, you know, you're evaluating about your own life, and you're saying, you know what? Maybe I've drifted. Or maybe I've never come to Jesus. You can change direction today. The Bible is a word that says repentance. Repentance simply means a change of mind that leads to a change in direction. That you have an epiphany, a thought in your mind that says, wow, I'm going the wrong direction. And I want to change directions. And the direction you go to is now of following after Jesus. I want to go toward Jesus and walk 
with Jesus. And so today, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Mark? I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to say I want to follow Jesus. I've drifted away or I've never been there and today's my first day, but I want to give my life to Jesus. On this Palm Sunday, 2021, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow him as my king. I'm ready to say yes, if that's you. I want you to do something between you, me, and God because no one else is looking around. I want you to raise your head up and I want you to look me right square in the eyeballs. I'm going to start over on my left and just look at this whole part of the congregation. center section, people saying yes to Jesus today. And off to my right, your left. You're saying, I want to say yes to Jesus. I'm not going to call you or embarrass you, I promise you. I just want to give you a chance to respond. Okay? All of those who said that and you're watching on, online today, same for you. I know I can't see you, but the Lord can. I'm going to invite us all to pray together. There's nothing magical about the words. We're just going to pray a prayer from our hearts. And those of you who are saying yes, I want you just to pray along with us. And I'm going to invite the whole church to pray so you're not by yourself because so many of the rest of the people in here have prayed this way already in their lives. And I'm going to invite you just to pray along today. And what you're doing is you're saying yes to Jesus. So invite everybody to pray with me this way this morning. Dear Jesus, you are king and I want to follow you so on this day I say to you that I want to turn from my old way I want to walk with you I want you to be my king I want you to be my leader I need you to forgive my sins So today, I accept that you are king of my life. I want to follow your leadership. I want to be your child. So on this day, I say yes to Jesus. Amen. I prayed that prayer this morning. It's all about your heart. You're saying from here, you're saying from here, I want to make Jesus king. And I'm going to ask you to do something today if if you did that today and you meant it from your heart. That before you go to bed tonight, would you tell somebody that that you accepted Christ or you came home to Christ that you know is a follower of Jesus? This is going to do a couple things in your life. Number one, it's going to kind of cement this into your heart. It's going to say it's really real. Number two, what it's going to do is it's going to be giving that person, another person kind of permission to say, how are you doing? How's your walk with Jesus going? How can I help you? And so it's going to be a win-win for you if you'll do that. Let's stand together this morning, friends. What a wonderful day to spend time in the presence of the Lord. Have people say, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my king. It's an eternal day with eternal significance. It was 100% worthwhile for you to get out of bed today.
put on your clothes and come to church. Amen? Let me pray a great blessing over you as we leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful day. If you'd like prayer, I'll be up here to pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful day following King Jesus.